Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Father, we recognize that this is your word. This is your holy word and we bow in reverence before it and we, we come this morning to submit our hearts to your word, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, we thank you for the power of your word and the power of your spirit speaking in and through your word to, to sanctify us, to make us holy, and to open our hearts to wonderful things about you and to increase our joy in you. And Lord, I ask you to do that this morning. Lord, I ask you to open our hearts and our eyes to this psalm and to the truths in it. And, and may we never think the same way or on the same level again. God, bring us up to higher ground and higher ways of thinking and living. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. One of the most important things that Psalms do for me is to pull me up into greater thoughts about God and to greater joy in God. And if you're not willing to think better thoughts than you typically think, the Psalms will probably not do you much good. But if you are willing to humbly adjust to new ways of thinking about God, the Psalms can lift you to a level of joy and praise and worship that you may have never thought possible. You may have never thought your heart could experience that kind of joy and satisfaction in the presence of God. I often read a Psalm and, then, and wonder, how did somebody... 3,000 years ago in such an ancient time and place have such beautiful and lofty thoughts about God. 
And the answer, of course, is revelation. God revealed his wonders to their hearts by his spirit. Worship starts with seeing you, starts with revelation. God revealed his wonders to, his heart, to their hearts by his spirit, and they, they, they drank it in. They absorbed it, and they responded to it. They, they knew God and enjoyed God and his goodness. For example, Psalm 36, 7 through 9. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights for with you is the fountain of life. Those who wrote and sang the Psalms were not bored with God. They did not see God as a killjoy. They saw God as a fountain of life and joy and satisfaction and they declared that knowing God was like enjoying a feast or drinking in a river of delights. But we can't just read a psalm like that and let it go. We have to ask ourselves, do I think and feel that way about God? If not, why not? If not, do I want to? Am I willing to let God touch my heart the way that he touched David's heart? We find this same exquisite joy in Psalm 65, our, our psalm for this morning. How blessed or how happy is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. In this psalm, which we're going to get into in detail, in this psalm, forgiveness of our sins and being chosen by God and welcomed and received into his presence were seen as a cause for praise and excitement and satisfaction and delight. David introduces this psalm by saying, praise is due to you, O God, or what mighty praise belongs to you, O God. This is a psalm about about praising God for the happiness of being chosen by God, for the happiness of being near to God, and for his glory in creation, and for his abundant goodness to us. In verse 2, God is addressed as, O oh, you who hear prayer. What a wonderful description of God. You who hear prayer. God listens to our prayers. This is an astonishing truth. The God of the universe, the God who created everything, the God who flung the stars into space and the galaxies, he listens to you. He listens to your most personal thoughts and concerns and requests. God desires communion and communication with us. This is astonishing. Oh, you who hear prayer. In verse 3, reveals that it is God himself who opens the door to his presence for us. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Or when my sins overwhelm me, you blot them out. This is the gospel in a single verse. Our sins overwhelmed us, 
but God took care of our sins. We were in bondage to sin. They prevailed against us, and Christ released us from our sins. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The prophet Micah said, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the sake of your inheritance? He, God, will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. That's Micah 7, 18 and 19. Micah was saying, who is like that? Where is there a God like that? How could there be a God this merciful and wonderful and loving to us? He sees our sins and yet he tramples them under his feet and throws them into the bottom of the sea. God cannot stand in the presence of sin there's no way that we could be close to God. There's no way that we could enjoy God except he himself made a way to bring us near, to welcome us into his house, to receive us, to wrap his loving arms around us. And we see that again, verse 4. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Being chosen by God and brought near to God are not only truths we know in our heads. This is to be a heartfelt experience. It is to bring happiness and satisfaction to our hearts. All the things that our hearts long for really are found in the goodness of and the holiness of God's presence. Amen. John Bloom of Desiring God had a great article uh, titled, Holiness Will Make You Unbelievably Happy. I like that. Holiness will make you unbelievably happy. And he said, he said God only emphasizes our unholiness, our sinful state, so that we can escape its grip and its consequences and know the full joy of living in the abundant, satisfying goodness of God's holiness. So we are blessed not because we have no problems, but because God forgave our sins and because God chose us and brought us right into his house, right into his courts. This is the purpose for which Christ died. Jesus Christ died to bring us to God. Then this psalm takes, I think, a very profound and interesting turn. David looks up from this place of deep satisfaction in God's presence, this place of deep satisfaction with God's goodness, with the goodness of his house and with his holiness, and he looks up from there and, and he sees all of creation displaying and declaring God's glory. Not, not only is, is David happy, he sees creation happy and full of praise to God. He does not merely see 
sunrise and sunset. He sees God infusing the morning and evening with his own happiness. It's amazing. Verse 8, you, you make the going forth of the morning and the evening shout for joy. God does that. In this psalm, even, even the hills are happy. D David looks at the hills and the mountain sides and, and he, sees, he sees the hills as happy. Verse 12, the wilderness pastures drip with dew and the hills wrap themselves with joy. The meadows and the valleys praise him with shouts of joy and singing. Verse 13, the meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. There's this incredible picture of, of the, uh, the meadows and the valleys joining in this beautiful duet and they sing together for, for joy. It is our happiness in God. It is our being satisfied with his goodness, with the goodness of his house and his holiness that enables us to see and enjoy God all around us in creation and in everything. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. God is revealing his glory. But it's from this, it's from this place of, of knowing God and knowing that our sins are washed away and atoned for, knowing that God's chosen us, knowing that we've been brought into this special place of, of his own house and received and welcomed by God, then everything around us begins to take on this new hue. We begin to see everything differently and better. The heavens declare the glory of God. Deanne recently posted a picture of a sunset and underneath that, Picture, she said this, this, the glory of God is written in the skies. The world sees beauty in nature. We see that, but we see beyond that. We see, we see the glory of God in creation. I'm going to share quite a few other psalms this morning because I want you to see that this is not a theme that is limited to Psalm 65. It is everywhere in the Psalms. In the Psalms, it isn't just thunder that you hear. It is the God of glory who thunders. Psalm 19. The voice of the Lord is powerful. Speaking of thunder, it's the voice of God. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. His voice shakes the wilderness. Isn't that great to start to look at life that way? <laughs> it isn't just lightning. It is the Lord flashing forth flames of fire. That's Psalm 29. <laughs> In Psalm 65, it is God who establishes the mountains by his mighty power. It's not just that earth came together and the mountains were 
came, to, came, were raised up by some sort of this massive upheaval. It's, it's God that did that. It's God that raised up the mountains by his mighty power. He is the one who stills the roaring of the seas. And the seas, that sometimes, if you read much in history about travel and um, people ocean, crossing the ocean in, in the old days, I mean, sometimes the incredible waves would come up, massive storms, and then all of a sudden there'd be, there'd be days where they couldn't even move because the, the seas would be so still. It's, it's God who does all that. Spurgeon said, I confess I have no sympathy with the man who, when he went down to the Rhine, the Rhine River, dived into his cabin so that he might not see the river and the mountains, lest he should be absorbed in them and forget his Savior. I see my Savior on the hills and by the shores of the sea. I hear my Father's voice in the thunder and listen to the whispers of his love in the cadence of the sunlit waves. These are my Father's works, and therefore I admire them, and I seem all the nearer to him when I am among them. Again, all through the Psalms, creation praises God and expresses great joy in God. Psalm 96, 12. Let the fields exult and all that is in them then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Psalm 98.8, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Psalm 148.9, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Praise the Lord. But when we praise God, we are simply joining this chorus of mighty praise already in progress. And our pleasure in life is is greatly increased when we, when we join creation in praise. Again, I quote Spurgeon, does not all nature around me praise God? If I were silent, I would be an exception to the universe. Does not thunder praise him as it rolls like drums in the march of God's armies? Do not the mountains praise him when, when the woods upon their summit wave in adoration does not the lightning write his name in letters of fire? Does not the whole earth have a voice? And shall I, can I, be silent? I believe it is being near to God that opens our ears to this continual chorus of praise in creation. Being near to God opens our eyes to see God's beauty and goodness. Being near to God, we see God and his goodness in places we never did before. It is like God gives us a new 
pair of special glasses that reveal glories we never imagined we could see in this life. Life is not perfect yet. We, we groan for our redemption. I mean, there's just things in life that, that aren't right yet. We know that. The Bible says even all of creation groans. The world around us is not perfect. David, David's life and those who sang these psalms, they had just as much trouble as we do, maybe more. Those who sang this psalm, 65, about 3,000 years ago, lived, lived in a fallen, broken world just like we do. And yet David was able to see God and see God's goodness and glory to an astonishing degree, even even in this fallen, broken world. And we can too. Of course, greater glory awaits us, for sure. But even now in this fallen, broken world, if we are, if we are brought near to God through the atoning sacrifice of His Son, and we've been brought into the courts of God, and we're beginning to enjoy that, and ev- everything looks better. Psalm 65 describes a world flourishing with the generosity of God. In this psalm, we see a a good God, a lavish God, a God of abundance, a God who provides well for his people. We do not merely see rain coming down. We see God coming to bless the earth with water. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. I mean, listen, listen to all these adjectives in here, please. Just, they're, just, just so, they, they're, des- they're describing creation, but they're, they're pointing us to the generosity, to the lavish goodness of God. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. God's river is is full. (laughs) The river of God is full of water. You provide the grains for, for so you prepared it. You water its furrows. How does he water his furrows? Abundantly. Settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your, the wagon tracks, or some translations say, your, your paths overflow with abundance. The, the, the idea here that is as they're bringing in the harvest and maybe perhaps carrying grain and so forth on this wagon, it's just like, just, they're just overflowing. There's, there's just all, there's excess flowing over the wagon and into the paths. Your, your paths or their wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The valleys deck themselves with grain. I mean, it's, it's communicating uh, to us a God who is always more than enough. Yes. A God who always has more than enough. A God of, of, of abundance. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So we should not merely see, we should not really drive down the highway and see fields full of crops. We should not merely look at at 
the, our grocery stores full of food or see plenty of food in our refrigerator or on the table, we should see God's bountiful provision for us everywhere. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, is, is this the way we see life? Is, is this our worldview? Is this, is this how we think about life and things? Or are you thinking, honestly, how little God has done for me? Or how unfair or hard or bitter my life is? Are you focused on what you lack and instead of the incredible blessing and abundance you do have. The scriptures reveal a good and a generous God and if, if, if our eyes have been opened to see the God of the Bible, that's how we'll think about him. And it will affect how we think, think and talk about life. I've seen people without much income have lots of hard things, things that go wrong, inconvenience, things that break and cause lots of expense and have lots of pain. And yet when you talk to them, you can tell their hearts are still, still captivated by God's love and goodness. The only way you will begin to look at life this way is by being brought near to God through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and then being happy and satisfied with his presence and his unfailing love. And then from, from that place, we start to see the goodness of God all around us. There is a secular song that I thought of the morning that I read this psalm and decided to teach on it. And this secular song is what I would describe as a human version of Psalm 65. And here it is. There were bells on a hill, but I never heard them ringing. No, I never heard them at all till there was you. There were birds in the sky, but I never saw them winging. No, I never saw them at all till there was you. Then there was music and wonderful roses they tell me in sweet, fragrant meadows of dawn and dew. There was love all around, but I never heard it singing. No, I never heard it at all till there was you. And this psalm really, in a sense, communicates that, that we can go through life with, without hearing music, without seeing beauty, without seeing glory, without knowing love. And the answer to this kind of deafness and blindness, to the answer to this kind of life without love is knowing and enjoying God. It really is. There is no human love that can do this except in a very temporary and incomplete way. It is only as our hearts are awakened to the grace of God and the love of God and the presence of God that things around us take on their full beauty and glory and joy. So 
not to be redundant, but I think the message of Psalm 65 could be summed up something like this. Life looks better when we know our sins are forgiven and we are living near to God, when we're living in his house and enjoying him and satisfied with the goodness of his house. It's, it's the cleansing of our sins and knowing how blessed we are in that status and the resulting nearness to God that enables us to join creation and its joy and praise. It's, it's, it's that's what enables us to see God's goodness all around us. So if, if you're... If you're not hearing or seeing God's glory and goodness much, it may be that you've become hardened to the, the mercy, the great mercy of forgiveness of your sins. Or perhaps your soul has become dulled to the thrill of being chosen by God to belong to him and being brought into his presence. The clearer the gospel is to us, the clearer is God's goodness and glory in everything around us. When you are in communion with God, at least this is my own personal testimony, maybe I should say when I am in communion with God, a cup, a cup of co- coffee is more enjoyable. Ice cream tastes better. Any meal is better. You will enjoy sunsets more, fields, flowers, and trees more, streams and rivers and oceans more, food more, people more, life more. J.I. Packer said, knowing God is the most practical project anyone can engage in. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded as it were with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. It's knowing God that wakes us up to life. It is. It is knowing God that wakes us up to goodness and joy and satisfaction and, and God's glory all around us. It's, it's not, it's, it is not people that are living out there apart from God and in sin that are enjoying life. God has provided the ultimate joy and satisfaction for those whom he has chosen to atone for our sins and to bring us near to him. So as I started out, uh, the Psalms pull us up into greater thoughts about God and to greater joy in God. And I believe this Psalm that we've just looked at this morning has, has the truth in it to do that. I mean, there's, there's sufficient truth in this psalm to pull you up to greater thoughts about God and greater joy in God. And so I just, 
ask you, do you want to think better thoughts than you have been thinking about God and about life? It's, it's the word of God that does that. It's, it's revelation, God revealing himself to us. It's knowing God. It's being near to God that changes our hearts and really changes our whole life experience. And Jesus died to bring us to God and to minister, to bring us into this place of satisfaction with God in his presence and where our eyes and our ears are opened to see God's goodness everywhere. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for this portion of your word. All of your word is so uh, rich and...